Well, hello, and welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. We are disciples of Jesus that build generational, transformational disciples of Jesus. And if you are seeing this this morning, it means that the great snowpocalypse of 2021 is upon us, for we are, uh, just in case that would happen, are getting to record this message early in the week, Thursday night, and the snow is already coming down. And I have to admit that it uh, is giving me a little bit of uh, COVID PTSD uh, preaching again to uh, a, a lightly packed room of just the worship team. And I want to say thank you for the worship team for coming out and allowing us to, to be able to record early for you guys. Love you so much, as well as our wonderful tech team in the back. But uh, we are a, right now talking about Jonah. This is the series All In, and that's what we want to be with God, All In. Uh, and so far as we've gone through Jonah, we talked about last week, you know, how we run from God and why we run from God and really the, the consequence, the prices that we pay from it. And today, what we're going to go into is talk about why we fight God and uh, what are the consequences of that as we continue in the story of Jonah. Before we get there, though, of course, our memory verse for the series, Proverbs 3, 5. I really hope this has been a uh, memory verse that's been helpful for you this particular week. I know that it has been for me. I've had a couple opportunities to lean on my own understanding, and this verse has really come to mind at just the right time and uh, allowed God to be able to straighten me out. And so uh, here we are with you. I hope this is something that you can uh, begin to set to your heart and mind as well. So here you go. Just say it along with me, and we'll get into the message. Here we go. Three, two, one. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Proverbs 3, 5. All right. And now let's just test ourselves. Here we go. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Proverbs 3, 5. Well, uh, since you guys are not here with us, you're not going to have that little memory verse card on your, your connection card thing. But the good news for you is that verse is in your Bible. And you can just write that down on a note card and take it with you. And I promise it will be something that you'll find very, very helpful. Now, if you have your Bibles, uh, why don't we turn them now to Jonah chapter 2. And uh, that's where we're going to pick up the story. Remember, each week in the series, we'll be going through basically a different chapter. a different act of really what's happening in the life of Jonah. Now, just to pick us up to where we got to chapter 2. In chapter 1, we met Jonah, who was a prophet, a real guy, lived in a, a difficult time. And uh, God told Jonah to go west by land to the land of, or go east by land to the land of Nineveh, where he was going to be able to go and preach to his sworn enemies. And Jonah decided not to do that. He went in the exact opposite direction and went by boat, tried to get away from God. And so God brought a storm and Jonah eventually was thrown over the boat and was swallowed by a giant fish. And so today we pick up the story with Jonah, uh, Jonah really in the dark, dreary, depress, depressing dumps of disobedience. This, this is where Jonah is in chapter 2. So this is what happens basically in chapter 2. As a summary, uh, Jonah was in the fish for three days and three nights, right? Just like Jesus in the tomb. In fact, Jesus even said this was a, a foreshadowing of him being in the tomb for three days and three nights and was resurrected. Jonah was literally in a fish for three days and three nights under the water. And so everyone thought he was dead. 
most notably Jonah, pretty much considering himself dead at that particular time. And remarkably enough uh, that uh, he did not ultimately just die in the belly of that fish, but it was still not fun. So we find that Jonah was there, and Jonah felt distressed. No duh, right? He's in the belly of a fish underneath the water after being chased by a storm because he knew he was running away from God. Three days in the belly of a fish would be awful. Uh, He would be hungry and thirsty because there's probably no takeout in there. Uh, He would have been being slowly digested, which is probably the worst pastime that I can think of. And beyond that, he would have all this emotional, mental, spiritual stresses happening. You have a lot to think about when you have... You know, it's not like you can just move around. You can just go into like another room and watch TV. You're being digested. That is your only thing on your to-do list. And you probably have opportunity to really kind of think about things. And I think Jonah really did have an opportunity to kind of think about, how did I wind up here? In fact, we know that's exactly what he was thinking about because later in this chapter, not very far into it, we find that Jonah prayed. He prayed to the Lord from inside a fish. He avoided God first when it was easy, when he was in Israel. He avoided God when it would have been simple. Right? When he knew what God wanted him to do, he didn't want to talk to God. But now that he was in the belly of a fish, his attitude changed. And he said, you know what, God? Uh, maybe, maybe I should be reaching out to you. And he does. And he cries out to God in the midst of this, this fish's belly. And, and you know, Pain and fear have a kind of a way of reminding us of our need for God. In fact, I think oftentimes the greatest test of our faith is not pain. It's not difficulties. It's actually prosperity when things are going really good because then we can kind of forget the fact that we're still dependent upon the Lord. But there is nothing like pain and hopelessness to, to remind you of how much you need a God. And this is where Jonah was. And so he's there praying. What I find spectacularly amazing and so joyfully hopeful in this is that from the belly of the fish, God heard Jonah's voice, right? Jonah lived in in a time where people, most of them, you you wanted to go and be closer to God. You had to go, you had to be uh, kind of baptized in a mikvah to become, you know, ritually clean just to get close to God, bring all of your your, uh, uh, sacrifices and things like that, go to the temple, right, to get close to him. And here is Jonah running from God in the belly of a fish under the ocean, and God hears him. And Jonah at this point had done nothing really to turn back to God. He couldn't. He was swallowed. I find in this something amazing about our God. It's more important uh, uh, to him the attitude of our heart. Where's the position of our heart than really where the position of our body is? That that God would meet Jonah in that depth of despair, and he heard him there. And I also think it's something interesting here, too, is that even despite that Jonah was in a well-deserved pickle, or a well-deserved fish, I suppose, it didn't really matter that God still heard him because God hears the prayers of repentance. In fact, we find other places in Scripture where God says that he's really quick to listen to those. And he's a God that wants to bring people back. And so God hears Jonah's prayers of repentance in the belly of this fish. And then we find that as he's doing this, Jonah puts his hope in the Lord for his rescue. And really, he was kind of out of options. I mean, so that makes sense. 
But he didn't have to do that. He could have just said, God, I deserve this, you know, and I, you asked me to do something I didn't want to do, and I still don't want to do it, and now I'm on your bad side too, so I deserve this, and, and I guess I just die here. But he didn't. From the belly of fish, getting his just desserts as it would be, Jonah cries out to God, and he says, Lord, if you would, would you, you're the one who can rescue me. And instead of rejecting him, well, we find something interesting about God is that God actually, he ordered the fish to spit out Jonah onto dry land. That God listened to Jonah before he had done anything right. And he gives him a second chance. And you see, in this chapter, we see something that is echoed throughout all of the pages of Scripture that our God is a redemptive God. And Christians, we... In, we base a lot of our faith and understanding about who God is on this. See, God will forgive you. Now, God is the type of God who gives another chance, not just second chances, because I've never met a human being that only needs two chances. But God is the God who gives us that next chance. He's the God who picks us up and helps us get it right. But you know, when you're outside God's will, like Jonah was, even though God is a redemptive God and he's going to do great things and, and he, he will give another chance, there's always a price to pay for when we're outside of God's will. Always. Right? I, I imagine if you ask Jonah about his experience of fish, he probably wouldn't be like, well, that was fun. I'll do that again. Totally worth it. And so it is like us. Oftentimes, we lean so heavy on God's grace, knowing that he's a God of grace and forgiveness and mercy and second chances, that we're like, well, Maybe just this time I'll run to Tarsus just because. Maybe I'll get away with it this time, right? I'll just give it a shot. Because my God's good, right? I can just go back to him. But the reality is we're just inviting pain and misery in our life. And maybe that's where some of you are right now. And if you listen to this, maybe you know you've been outside of God's will, been running from him, and you're in the belly of a fish. You're feeling the, you know, the digestive Juices starting to slowly tear you apart, and you are in that, just the dumps, as it were, of depression, of disobedience. Well, what do you do with your in there? Because I think a lot of us, as believers, identify with this a whole lot. Uh, most Christians have times when we've foolishly thought we could outwit God or outrun God, or we're going to do things our own way. And we find ourselves somehow in this space. There's good news for you today. There, there is advice and counsel and to see how God hand, helps us. He tells us what to do in this passage. We get some good guides. What do you do when you're in the belly of the fish? What do you do when you're outside of God's will? And, and the first thing that we find in this passage here is that you need to recognize that you are outside of God's will. That's the first step. I mean, this is what Jonah did the, like when he, first thing he recognized that he was not doing what God asked him to do right so I'm not talking about like if you're unsure like you're making a a decision that's not entirely it's not a, a moral decision it's like should I buy chocolate or vanilla ice cream and you're just turmoiled and you're like what would the Lord have me do I don't know right I'm not talking about a decision like that I'm talking about a time where God says you know you're doing something that God says don't do right how do you handle that? Well, you've got to start with saying, 
I recognize that I'm doing what God would not want me to do. He told me to go east by land, and I'm going west by water, right? Now, there are some mental games, if you're like me, that you play with yourself, and you have to overcome these mental games in order to get to this part to actually recognize that you're outside of God's will, right? And some of these, these mental games are, are uh, pretty convincing for us. The first thing we often do, or I see even in my own life, is pretend. We pretend that we didn't hear from God, right? I didn't read your word about that, Lord, right? I, <laughs> I, I know I've been praying about this, and you've definitely directed me in my spirit, but I'm going to just pretend that I'm not getting that feeling that you're telling me this direction, right? We just pretend, right? We're just like, well, maybe I can just be ignorant, and ignorance is bliss, right? No, ignorance gets you in the belly of a fish, that's what happens, right? But we act like it's okay when we know it's not. Have you ever done that? Done something totally wrong, but just, but just pretended it was fine, and everybody else around you just kind of pretends it's fine. We just gaslight each other like, oh, this is all fine. And then your life falls apart. We have to live in reality, not in the fairy tale land of how we would design the world to be, because here's a flash news for all of us. You're not God. You didn't create yourself or this world or anything else. You did create your own mess. I guess you could take credit for that. But we need to live in the real world. And pretending that God didn't say what he said in his word doesn't help you. To, to pretend that God hasn't given you direction when he's given you direction is not helping you. The second way that we oftentimes try to get around this and and uh, when we were outside of God's will, if we're not pretending, sometimes we try to rationalize it, right? We rationalize our disobedience. We say things that are crazy, like, God wants me to be happy. Show me the verse that anywhere in the Bible that says this is God's desire that you're just going to be happy. It's not. Is if you are obedient, there is happiness. God wants that for you, yeah. But he doesn't want you to be happy if you're being evil, if you're being disobedient, the Lord's will is definitely not for you to be happy in that because he would not want to make you happy about the thing that's destroying you and destroying the world around you. He's not going to make you happy while you're doing bad things. But sometimes we're like, well, here's this thing that I could have, but I can't have it in a way that I know God wants me to have it, but I know that God wants my happiness more. That's a lie. And we rationalize our, to ourselves. Other times we do things like this. We'll say, well, the church or the Bible is just outdated. These, these things don't have to apply today because they've been around for so long. Or it possibly could be that these things still apply today because they were written by the timeless God and these truths are really good today because they were really good yesterday and they'll be really, really great tomorrow. But we'll be like, nah, it's old-fashioned. So God's morals, they're for the people that, you know, don't know better. And so... We rationalize it. I can do this because, you know, I'm kind of smarter than those things. Or, if we're not rationalizing, we're making excuses. We're saying, well, I know that I'm doing something that's sinful, but here, I've got good reasons for it, right? If God would just have made my life easier here, or this person did this to me, or I really need to this thing, right, or this help or whatever, I'm just going to take it. We make excuses. We say things like, well, uh, you know, God knows my heart. Well, yeah, he does know your heart. Maybe your heart's really sinful, right? Maybe your heart is getting you into the belly of the fish that you're in. 
Making excuses doesn't help anything. And I'll tell you this, and I'll tell you this really as, as heartfelt as I possibly can. God does not listen to our excuses. He never excuses sins. He paid for our sins on a cross. That's how seriously he takes them. Excusing our sins is not something that we have the right nor the privilege or the purview to do. In fact, when we excuse sins, it doesn't mean that God does. But you know the worst thing that mostly Christians do when we are outside of God's will? We can pretend, we can rationalize, we can make excuses, but this is the one that I think is the most onerous of all, is we spiritualize, right? We say, we somehow try to twist things into what we're doing is actually the righteous thing. What we'll do is we'll pray about it or we'll re-examine scripture about it until we finally hear what we want. We're like, God, you know, can I rob this liquor store? And he's like, no. God, can I rob this liquor store? Oh, you said yes, God? Okay, I will do it, right? I re-examine scripture and I realize that the law doesn't apply to me anymore and so therefore all things are mine and Christ is what the word says and so actually I'm the better Christian because I know that I can actually have this freedom to rob liquor stores. People do this kind of crazy thing. We do this kind of crazy thing. I want you to know this is exactly what the devil did when he was, saw God in his glory, he somehow thought that it was somehow better for him to think that they could, he and the angels could overthrow God, spiritualized his immorality. In fact, I would say this, our problem isn't immorality, the problem is that we're wrongly moral. And so we spiritualize and we will justify any particular thing. And what we do is we say, well, I re-examine scripture and now that I see adultery is fine, you know, and then we'll say, well, we're better, we're more enlightened than those judgmental Christians who actually believe the Bible as it was read. And so we divide ourselves from the people of God, who are the ones that can actually help us. It does not help us. And I want you to know, you are more than welcome, more than welcome to pretend that you're fine when you're in sin. And you are more than welcome absolutely more than welcome to, to, to just make excuses for your sin. You can do that. You're more than welcome to spiritualize your sin and to try to go through and, and justify it in the word or to rationalize it. You can do that, but here's the thing. I love you enough to tell you that, that it's not going to end well for you. There's a fish coming for you. Misery is coming for you. Now, why would you want that? Jonah had all the reasons why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. I'm sure he went through all these, played all the same mind games that we do. And he ended up in the belly of a fish. And what does that feel like? Well, he tells us, actually. Let's look at it. Verse 3, it says, he's talking to God now because he's in the belly of a fish, and that's the only other person that's in that belly with him. And he says to God, you hurled me into the depths and to the very heart of the seas. And the currents swirled around me, and your waves and breakers swept over me. You know, ignoring God's will is a lot like being, overthrow, or, you know, being thrown overboard. Like the world just is chaotic. If God's will isn't controlling your life, this world is a chaotic thing. It's a chaotic place. You're on your own, and you will become overwhelmed. This world is bigger than you. If you're outside God's will, you've, you're going to find just how much it hurts to stay outside God's will, just like Jonah did. This is not pleasant for him. 
So I would say instead of, of doubling down, which I've seen people do, I have doubled down sometimes in my own sin. How stupid is that? Right? I go and I do something that God doesn't want me to do, and then I justify it, pretend, spiritualize, and all that, and then consequences hit, and then I double down. I'm like, no, really, I'm right, God, you're wrong. And then it's even worse, right? Instead of doing that, it's so much easier if you just confess you've sinned. In Psalm 51, we have a great example of that. This was written by King David when he was caught in adultery and murder by a prophet who tricked him with a really fancy story. And he ends up confessing it all. And then after he does this, after he recognizes he's done this horrible thing, he pens this psalm to God. And he writes in it, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. He doesn't excuse it. He doesn't spiritualize it. He doesn't say, well, Lord, if you hadn't made Bathsheba so beautiful, right? It's not what he said. I know my transgressions. No excuses. That begins with getting real with God. Which is one of the things I love about prayer is that we don't always have to do it together in groups. A lot of our prayer, as Phil talked about, is that alone time, just me and God, when there is no face to save. And I can go before God, and I can be like, I am probably the biggest doofus, Lord. And he's like, yes, Aaron, you are, but I love you. And I'm like, this is what I've done, and this is the ugliness of my heart. And here's the how bad I am, God. Right now, I like that my heart is ugly. And I don't want to like that, but I do. Help me. God has never rejected me. I have told him how upset I was with him, how I didn't understand his ways, how I wanted to do things my own way. Never once has a lightning bolt come down and struck me. Never once has God come and just slapped me upside the head. God wants to hear you. But I tell you what, he wants to hear you in honesty. He doesn't want to hear you make excuses as to why you're going to do your things your way and live in open rebellion to him. He's not interested in that. But when you come to him and you say, yeah, God, I know my transgressions. My sin is right here. It's just right here before me. There it is. Our God, listen. The first thing that we need to do if you're outside of God's will is recognize you're outside of God's will. And that requires some honesty, you between you and God. The second thing that we need to do in that is we need to realize the consequences of my disobedience, right? Jonah's consequences were pretty dramatic, right? He had a big fish swallow him up, right? In fact, it says here uh, in uh, verse 3, he says, you hurled me over the depths and, and these, uh, into the very currents of the sea and the currents swirled around me and the waves and the breakers swept over me, right? I mean, it was pretty bad. And then he goes on and, and uh, actually, I'll just read it. And he says here, uh, in the next verse, he says, And I said, uh, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again to your holy temple. I think what we find in, as we go to God is we, we see that he recognized that he did this to himself. That God, yes, sent the storm, but he's the one that really brought it, right? That when we sin, we have consequences for our, our disobedience. I'll tell you this. Husbands, if you're not loving your wives, laying your life down for your wives, regularly, consistently, choosing her above yourself, don't be surprised if consequence comes in later and there might be bitterness or lack of trust. 
right? Wives, if you're not honoring your husband, if you're not helping follow him and lead him, don't be surprised if he starts to lead in such a way that's probably not looking out for your best, and you're going to have misery there, right? Children, if you're not obeying your parents, right, honoring them, doing kind of what they ask, don't be surprised that you're not going to, you know, get to stay up late, and you're not going to have as many freedoms (laughs) that are out there. And parents, if you are being just absolutely awful to your children, Right? You're not being kind to them. You're just being authoritative, authoritarian. Right? You're just telling you do these things like a dictator because you have all the power. Right? You cause them fear and all. Don't be surprised. You're going to have a horrible relationship with your children. I mean, there's so many areas in life you can carry this out to. Right? There is consequence for sin. And when we do things that are wrong, how crazy is it we blame God that our life is bad? We need to stop that. Realize sin has consequence. And when I sin, I, I add to the brokenness of this world. Now, something I want you to notice that in this thing, that, that Jonah sinned and he did something bad, and then he prays to God, and God hears him. And, and something that I think you're going to find from this, the belly of the whale, and the first one is that God wasn't surprised that Jonah sinned, right? He had prepared that whale in advance, right, or that great fish in advance. He knew about it in advance. And God knows that you're going to fall too. It's not like you're going to sin, and all of a sudden God's going to be like, wow, I didn't see that. Well, I just can't use a person like this. It says in the word, he called you from the beginning of time. He knows you. You are his child. He is prepared to help you through this. I think something else that we find is that not only was God wasn't surprised, but God was prepared for it. It's not like God just saw that Jonah was going to sin. He prepared to help Jonah get in the right track. You can't outsmart a God who already knows the future, who already knows everything that ever is going to happen, that knows every thought in your mind, that knows every single thing that you've ever done and ever will do. He is prepared to help you. He's set up. And so I think it's interesting and at least comforting me that God had a, had a rescue plan in place for Jonah months before Jonah even knew that he was going to sin. He does that for us too. He's working all things together for the good of those who love and are called according to his purpose. So God's prepared. He's there. But I think the thing we also find in this is that God also used the suffering. God did not prepare in such a way that kept Jonah from facing the consequences of his sin. He said, I'm going to allow you to go through this and learn from it. Our God is good enough and has a high enough tolerance for our pain that he will allow us to suffer because it can teach us really good lessons. It teaches us Maybe running away from God by boat's not a good idea. Maybe cheating on my wife isn't a good idea. Maybe cheating on my taxes isn't a good idea. Right? God teaches us oftentimes, and he will use pain if necessary. Last thing I, uh, from inside the well that I think we see here is that it's amazing that we find is that God forgave. Jonah was completely wrong. No excuses. He was absolutely wrong. And he deserved God's wrath, and yet God gave him mercy. So here's something I want you to understand, is that sin always leads to pain. Not sometimes, not just occasionally. If you sin, you walk outside of God's will, somehow, someway, it's causing somebody pain. And oftentimes, it's going to be you. Sometimes it's the people you love. Sometimes it's the people around you. Sometimes it's the culture with you live within. But every time we sin, it causes pain. But I also want you to hear this. That wherever there is sin, there is an opportunity for repentance. And whenever we repent, there is a God who will not just forgive us, but he will then allow us to grow. Okay, so 
two things that we've learned so far about when we are outside of God's will is we've got to recognize we're outside of God's will because how can you repent if you do that? The second thing, you've got to realize the cost. You've got to say there's pain into this. The third thing you've got to do is you actually got to repent of the disobedience. You've got to change direction. You can't just say, well, Lord, yep, that was bad. I'm sorry, and then go do the same thing. Oops, I did it again. Does not cut it with the Lord. When we sin and we recognize what we've done and we're like, oh, this hurts and I wish that it wouldn't, Stop it! We need to change. This is, this is what Jonah did, right? It says he was in the fish three days and nights, and from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. This is what Jonah did. He prayed to, the, to God, and, and God listened to him, right? And he says, in my distress, I called the Lord, and he answered me from the deep realm of the dead, which I called you to help. You listen to my cry. That's what God did. He heard Jonah, and Jonah said, all right, I need to change. I need your help. And God said, all right, your heart's there. I'm going to give you another chance. So God heard and God answered. See, God, recognize that Jonah ran from God. God didn't run from Jonah. And that's a big thing for us because oftentimes we feel abandoned by God when we're in sin, but that's not the case. We run from God, but God was with Jonah every step of the way. And when Jonah was ready to turn, God was ready to help him turn back. See, repentance is actually, it's a change of wills. It's exchanging my will for God's. When I, and, and I say, okay, God, I'm going to stop doing things my way. I'm going to start doing it your way. Jesus gave us a great prayer for that. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, not my will, but yours be done. He showed us what it looks like when we follow God and we don't fully understand, but we're going to follow him. This is what we need to do. And Jonah did that. Right? Jonah 2.9, right? we get to the end, it says, but, with, uh, but I, with shouts of great praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes of the Lord. What did Jonah vow to God? Probably, if you get me out of this fish, I'll do whatever you say. And then Jonah, still in the fish when he says this, says, seriously, God, if you let me out, I will be obedient. Jonah recommitted himself to God's will. And right after he says this, see, this is Jonah 2.9. Look what it says in Jonah 2.10, the next verse. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. No one in the history of the world has ever been so happy to be vomit. Right? This was the next chance. But when did it come? Did it come before repentance or after? After. When Jonah finally said, all right, God, I'm done playing games. I'm going to follow you. Then God allowed him to be vomited out onto the ground and gave him the next chance. And now Jonah actually had to live it out. I mean, he was, you know, fish vomit on the, on the beach, right? He still had to walk to Nineveh. Next week we're going to talk about exactly what that looked like. But there's something else that we need to do. It's not just when we're outside of God's will, not just recognizing that we're outside of God's will. It's not just, you know, uh, rec- uh, seeing the, the, uh, realizing the, the consequences of that. It's not just repenting. It's not just turning our wills. The last thing, most important thing that we see Jonah did is we have to give God control, right? Jonah took control of his life and fish happened. That's, that's what happened. You recognize that for you and for me, we're not God. If we want to make sure that God is in control of our lives. That's why we say at the Christian Church of Estes Park, we're disciples of Jesus. 
See, Jesus is not a disciple of you. He does not follow you around. He's not learning how to do life like you. He says, follow me. And he tells us to follow him. Part of that means to learn to obey everything he's commanded. That we begin to give God control of our lives. And what's really great about this is, I, is that we were not really meant to be in control. God created a world and he gave us a moral compass and he gave us a way to the world to be and we just operate that way. It's just so much better. See, real living begins when we give God control of our lives. What Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, he says this, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. The greatest deception it ever was, the devil and self and the, all try to tell ourselves that we know how to live our bo- lives better than God knows how to live our lives with us, right? That, that I know better. And we make all these excuses, we rationalize, we do all this, and we always end up in the belly of a fish. Yes, God is there, and he will meet you there in the belly, and he will help you out. if You recognize it, and you repent, and you give God control. But here's a better idea. How about just giving God control first? How much better would Jonah's life would have been if God said, Jonah, go to Nineveh, and Jonah said, I don't want to go to Nineveh, but God, you're in control. I will go. Do you know what would have happened? He would have still wound up in the same place, Nineveh, and he would have still seen all the great things that he had before, except for his clothes wouldn't smell like fish vomit. Our lives are better, and you have to really think about this in your heart, in your life. Do you really believe God knows better how to, how to direct your life than you? Because if you don't believe that, then what on earth are you doing trying to follow him? Right? Why are you trusting him with your salvation, with your eternity, if you can't trust him with your today? But history, thousands of years of Christians following the Lord, pays homage to the truth of this. God knows best. And when we give him control, in our lives, blessings happen. And so as I bring this, this message to basic, uh, kind of a wrapping it up, there are some things I'm going to ask you to do, some next steps. How do you apply this, right? Well, one of the things I'm going to ask you to do is why don't you memorize Proverbs 3.5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Those aren't just flowery words. It's the way of real life. It's the way that keeps us from being fish bait. It's the way that keeps us from being slowly dissolved by our mistakes and regrets. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. God will make your paths straight. Memorize it. Begin to pray it into your life. Think it through so you can avoid the fish experience. Second thing I'd ask you to do, read Jonah 2. I talked about it. You should read it. Third thing, repent. Maybe, just maybe, there's some people here that are listening to this message that are outside of God's will right now. Maybe you're feeling the consequences of your sin even in this moment. Here's what you need to do. Turn to God. You realize that repentance is first. And then you're going to see God's salvation in your life. And so have this idea that I'm going to turn back to God in your heart and your life. Lord, I want to do what you've asked me to do. Have that boldness and work on it this week. Change how you're living to start walking back on what God asked you to do.
And the last thing I would challenge you to do is give God control. Wherever it is in your life, to say, Lord, I'm going to trust in you with all my heart. And I might be scared that you're going to send me to some crazy place like Africa, but I'm going to trust you. Here's the craziest thing. God rarely sends people to Africa. You know what he usually does? He, he sends you to the next room to care for the people that you live with. Or he sends you next door to care to the people that are, that are living close by you. Right? This is where God sends us to. We are the missionaries of Estes Park. But will you give God control? Well, this is something only you can answer between you and God, but I'm going to challenge you to take that step this week. To look in your life, where do I have control and where do I need to give God control and do it? All right, so that's what I have for you today. I'm going to have the worship team come up as they do. Please join me as I pray for you as you uh, make commitments for the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love your great grace, your kindness and mercy and goodness. Thank you that you don't leave us in the belly of well-deserved whales, but that you allow us to have next chances. But Lord, we recognize that just because you're a God of forgiveness, it does not excuse us, nor does it save us from a lot of the consequences and the pain that sin naturally brings into our lives. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to live as those who are wise, who would trust in you with all of our hearts, that we'd stop leaning on our own understanding of how the world works, but that in all of our ways, Father, help us as a congregation to truly submit to what you have said, that we would be following Jesus, truly his disciples, so that you could make our lives make sense. You can make our paths straight in life. Lord, today that we've had people make commitments to you, Lord, I help pray that you meet them there. Help them walk this new path of repentance with you. And so that in our lives, we can give you glory. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.